Good morning. Welcome to Bible class here at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. I'm Pastor Glenn Thomas, one of the pastors here at St. Paul's. We welcome not only those who are with us here in our gymnasium this morning, but also our guests listening with us on KFUO 850 AM in the St. Louis area and worldwide at KFUO.org. We're going to continue our uh, custom here of looking at the lessons for the coming week, so not today, not today's lessons, which uh, would be the lessons for Trinity Sunday, but the lessons for next week. And before we do that, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to study your word. And especially today, we thank you for all that you have done and continue to do for us. Father as our creator, Son as our Savior, and Holy Spirit as the one who calls us and keeps us in this one true faith. We thank you also this Memorial Day weekend for all who have made the ultimate sacrifice in defense of the liberties and freedoms that we enjoy as a nation. And we pray for all those who are currently serving in the military that you might keep them safe and in your care as well. Send your Holy Spirit to be with us now as we study your word that we might continue to grow in our understanding of that word and of your will for us as your children here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The lessons, uh, and by the way, there are sheets over there on the side for those that are here in the gymnasium that have the lessons printed on them and the collect of the day. Uh, next Sunday is one of those Sundays where things really come together kind of nicely. It's not too difficult to figure out the emphasis next week. And that is going to be on the topic of Sabbath or Sabbath day. And uh, the Old Testament lesson is from the book of Numbers where God uh, might say reinstitutes. He's already told them uh, in Exodus about the Sabbath, but Deuteronomy rather, I'm sorry, I think I said Numbers, Deuteronomy where God reiterates uh, the Sabbath day rules and laws. And then in the gospel lesson, Jesus is going to be challenged uh, by the Pharisees for, in their estimation, violating the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath, Sabbath day, is the uh, clear overarching theme. And then the epistle lesson is really not connected thematically uh, to them, but also is, is a very good one. So let's start with a collect. And uh, as I often say, the collect, if you're coming into church on Sunday, it's a good place to start. Many times it does trumpet the theme for the day. It collects the main emphasis or emphases and uh, states it very succinctly. So the collect of the day next Sunday, eternal God, your son Jesus Christ is our true Sabbath rest. Help us to keep each day holy by receiving his word of comfort, that we may find our rest in him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So we're going to be talking about the Sabbath day, but as we can see from the collect already, who is our true Sabbath rest? Jesus, right. We find our rest in him. Come unto me, all ye who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest, right? And so we'll be looking at how the Sabbath day, in a way, is a shadow, uh, a foreshadowing of the great rest yet to come, and that's the rest that we have in Jesus, and then ultimately 
the rest we have in the world to come, right? Uh, we sing uh, for all the saints who from their labors rest, right? So it ties together very nicely. Now, let's start with Deuteronomy, the Old Testament lesson then for next week. A little background here. God has already given the uh, Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, we might say, to Moses on, on uh, Mount Sinai back in Exodus chapter 20. God's people are on their way to the Promised Land. They get right to the border of the Promised Land, and they send in the spies. And the spies come back, and what are the spies? Remember, God has said, I'm going to give you this land. You know, it's, it's for you. The spies come back, and with only two exceptions, Joshua and Caleb, uh, they say that the people there are mighty big and mighty intimidating. We, in effect, we better not try this. We better not go in. Even though God has promised to give them that land, they shrink back in fear. God responds. He's ready to just let let them go, uh, you know, separate from them. Moses intercedes on behalf of God's people, and God spares them. But, he says, no one 20 years old or uh, older in this group is going to set foot in the promised land. And they're out there wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay? Now, exception again, Joshua and Caleb uh, are allowed to go in. Does Moses even get to go into the promised land? No. Uh, the end, end of Deuteronomy, it, it, this would make a gr great movie. Moses is up there looking out over the land that he's never going to set foot on. It, it's, one of the, it's a very dramatic uh, ending to the book. Okay? So here's where we are now. They've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. They're about now, finally, to get into the promised land. And God reiterates in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5 the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, we might say, because he's reminding them of what he told them before. And now that they're about to go into this land, he wants to make sure they've got it straight. Okay? So that's kind of just a background. And uh, let's just read through the Old Testament lesson, then we'll go back and kind of take it apart. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out and there, out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. All right, let's go back and talk about this. Uh, observe, or uh, you could say pay attention to the Sabbath day, God is telling his people before they go in, to keep it holy or to set it apart for holy use. Okay? Now, let's just stop for a moment and think about this. Why did God bother to establish a Sabbath day at all? 
Why not just have every day be the same and we just keep on working seven days a week and just keep going day after day after day after day after day? Why did God set it up this way, do you think? Day of rest, okay, so there is the physical aspect to this, isn't there? That as, remember, by the sweat of your brow you shall eat, you know? And so this is the labor that we have today, the work that we have. So there is a physical component to this as well. It is rest for our body and taking care of the body as a, a, a created gift from God. And another, eh, Jan? God rested on the seventh day. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that God was tired and needed a rest. Uh, but he set apart that day by his creation being finished and not doing anything else on that day. In addition to our physical uh, resting and benefit from the Sabbath day, what also did God intend? Different, separate, right? Right? What ben other benefit for us, though? Spiritual benefit, right? It's not just a day to sleep in. Uh, oh, you could do that. I'm not, and again, I want to be careful that we don't go too far here. But it's not just a day to sleep in and, uh, you know, get up and read the paper and go to brunch and all that. And again, all those are nice things. But it's interesting that notice there in verse 14, but the seventh day is a Sabbath or a rest. Notice, to, to the Lord your God. So it is a day in which we not only cease from our work uh, or, or rest, but it is a day dedicated to our God and our relationship with him. And so as God's people are ready to go into the promised land, he wants them to set aside a day. Now in the Old Testament, what day was that that was set aside? The seventh day, it was actually from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, right? The Jews were on a more of a lunar calendar, and so they had the moon as their, their guide in this. We operate with the sun as our guide. But from, remember, Jesus' crucifixion, they had to stop preparing his body when the sun went down on Good Friday and then resumed again very, very early on Sunday morning, okay? And so... Six days you shall do uh, your labor and all your work. And again, the seventh day, verse 14, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, notice it's not only that you shall do no work, but everybody in your house does no work, including the servants and including the animals were not to do any work on that day. Okay, Because, again, there were to be no distractions and everybody was to rest, even your servants, even your children. Uh, everybody was to both rest physically and uh, focus upon the Lord. By the way, the, day Sabbath, uh, the word Sabbath means rest itself, so it's almost redundant when you say Sabbath rest, but it is a day of rest. Now, verse 15, I think, is a little bit interesting if you read the Exodus account in Exodus 20, where God, uh, God says there that um, it's a Sabbath day to the Lord, then Moses and God through Moses refers back to the creation, that in six days God made the earth and all that is in it, and he rested on the seventh day, therefore it shall be a Sabbath for you. 
Here in Deuteronomy, God doesn't refer back to the creation, but he refers back to what? In verse uh, 15, there's slavery in Egypt. And one of two things, or maybe both, maybe it's an intentional double uh, thing going on here, that, number one, he's reminding them that even their servants, their slaves, should rest on that day. Maybe he's reminding them that they should rest. Keep in mind, you were a slave or a servant at one time, right? So there's have, have some empathy here for your servants. Remember how you were a slave at one time. But then there's the other thing that is probably at work here as well. That when God releases his people from their slavery in Egypt, what, does, what in effect is he giving to them? Rest from their slavery, right? He brought them into a new period of rest now, okay? And so maybe both of those are going on here. But uh, it's interesting that right at this point, there's a departure from what the way God addressed it in Exodus 20. Instead of referring back to creation, there's a reference back to their slavery in Egypt and how God brought them out, that great act of salvation. Okay? So, and then finally, uh, uh, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. All right? So, let's take a look at this. Um, why, let me, let me go this way. Uh, you remember, uh, a lot of us remember anyway, those of us who are uh, advanced in years enough to remember. Uh, remember on Sundays, what was open? Hardly anything, right? Gas station might be open. Uh, nothing like what we have today. We're almost everything. Isn't it the case today that you just assume something's going to be open on a Sunday? You have to, don't really hardly have to look. And, uh, well, it's a shock if they're not. Uh, there is one uh, furniture store here in St. Louis or appliance store in St. Louis that um, advertises that every day except the Lord's Day uh, that they're open. So let me ask you this. Is it wrong that, that places are open on Sundays now? Is that an abomination to the Lord and we should uh, go out and picket all these places because they're a disgrace to the Lord? What do you think? How, remember, what is Luther's explanation to this commandment? you recall? We should fear and love God that we may not, what? Despise preaching in his word. So that's the negative. But do what? Hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it, okay? It's interesting that Luther doesn't even mention a day. He simply talks about the despising of the word of God. Now, how do we despise preaching and his word? Number one, very obviously, what? We don't even bother to come and put ourselves in the place where God can serve us, by the way, that's the Lutheran distinction, one Lutheran distinction when it comes to worship. You see all our services are divine service one, divine service two, and so on, setting one, setting two, setting three. When we come to church on Sunday, we call it divine service. Is that because we're serving God and doing God a favor by being here on Sundays? No, the other way around. God is serving us, isn't he, with his word, with his sacrament. Now, obviously, we do respond in prayer and praise, but that's a Lutheran understanding, that it's not that we're, you know, putting another notch on our, on our belt with God and, and making ourselves better by coming to church, uh, just the other way around. And I think, you know, when, uh, 
when people get a call from a pastor or an elder because they haven't been here in a long time, uh, there's a guilt that they feel, uh, and sometimes they'll, you know, the excuses will start coming out faster than you can. And really, it's, it's only out of concern that we would contact them because they're absenting themselves from the place where God's word is taught and is heard and where his means of grace are there for them. That's the purpose. So we can despise preaching his word by not coming. Can we break that? Can we break this commandment by actually coming to church? When we come to church and what? Don't pay any attention. Yeah. You'd be surprised what we pastors can see up there when we're preaching. <clears throat> see lots of stuff going on out there. The one that always got me is when you would hear the checkbook tear during the sermon. That's, that's always, a, that's always a, a tip off that maybe they weren't listening. I don't know. Although maybe you could do that and listen. Uh, so you come and you don't listen. You come and you listen, but you don't, what? You don't believe, uh, really believe what's going on. That's despising the word of God. I know the word of God says that, but I don't believe in that. And then fourth, you don't actually put it in your life. You know, you don't actually uh, try to live by it and, and live according to the will of God. So you can violate this commandment even by coming to church, okay? Despising preaching and his word. So back to my question, is it wrong then for, for things to be open on Sundays? No, not necessarily. Uh, if you are taking that time and in worship and not despising the word of God, uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with places being open on Sunday. That's, Lutherans never really got all worked into a lather about the blue laws uh, as a church body and so on, because we, uh, I think, concluded that, well, okay, that's not a violation of the commandments, strictly speaking. Now, having said that, I do have empathy for people whose employers force them to work on Sunday morning. And therefore, we, for example, here have a Saturday night service. Uh, other churches uh, have a, like a Monday night service or maybe a Wednesday or a Thursday. Just now, and these are relatively historically newer developments because of people who must work on Sunday mornings and on a regular basis, not just once in a while, but on a regular basis. Uh, so at any rate, we try to make it possible for people to put themselves in the place where the word of God is going to come to them. Okay? Now, an important distinction uh, in the New Testament, if those of you that have a Bible, let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. And this is sort of an uh, overarching verse, verses 16 and 17 of Colossians 2. And so Paul is outlining here, okay, now, for we, we as Christians now, are we supposed to be keeping all of the both Sabbath rules and all of the festival rules from the, from the Jews. The New Moon Festival was a festival that took place when a new moon came. <laughs> and uh, and uh, all that. So are we supposed to still be doing that as Christians? So Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, so the old dietary laws, we're not going to uh, have to abide by those, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. See, 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's kind of what we were saying in the collect, weren't we? That there's a rest that we have with regard to the Sabbath, but that's just a foreshadowing of the real substance to come that is Christ. Picture it this way. Picture that I'm walking this way and I've got a light behind me, okay? So if you're out there, and I'm maybe behind a wall here, and the light's behind me, what do you see out there? Do you see me? You just see the shadow. And then finally, when I step out behind that wall, there I am, right? So this is kind of the way it is, that the shadow out there, that Paul says just a shadow of what was to come, was the rest that we had on the Sabbath. When Christ comes, we have the real thing, the real substance. The real rest is here through him, okay? So we do not uh, have any regulations with regard to, uh, you know, it's got to be a certain day. Uh, it has to be this way. Uh, there is great freedom. Obviously, we have midweek services on Wednesdays during Lent and Advent. Uh, we have Saturday service here at 5 o'clock. Churches have all kinds of services throughout the course of the week. The idea is not to become legalistic, just the opposite, to let the gospel flow, right? Uh, let God's means of grace flow to people and to make that as, as available and as uh, open as we possibly can, okay? And so that is what's, what's going on here. Uh, now, but back at that time, the Pharisees made what they called a fence around the law. So they wanted, by the fence, they wanted to make it so uh, that you wouldn't even come close to breaking the Sabbath day rules or any other commandments, but talk just about the, the third commandment here. So that they started defining what is work on the Sabbath day. So you could do this, you couldn't do that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, when the disciples came back after Jesus ascended, you remember how in Acts 1, Luke called it a Sabbath day's journey away, Mount Olivet. That's because the Jews could only travel that far on the Sabbath day without being in violation of breaking the Sabbath. Okay? Uh, you, you could not, uh, for example, do any plowing or reaping. You could not press wine to make, or press grapes to make wine. Uh, couldn't carry any goods, couldn't prepare your food. Remember in the Old Testament when the manna fell? What did, they, what did they have to do the day before the Sabbath? God commanded them to do this. Gather what? Twice as much. Because they couldn't go out there and do it, get it on the Sabbath. And it's only that twice as much it didn't spoil. Right? God made sure it didn't spoil. So there were all kinds of rules and regulations Six, over 630 of these rules and regulations that were to be a fence around the Sabbath, or around the commandments, to, to make it so you wouldn't even come close to violating the commandments, okay? Now, what happens over time? What, what, what effect does all of this have on somebody over time, all these rules and regulations? Is there much joy in our relationship with God? No. It's just, it becomes, and the Pharisees, as we're going to see in the gospel lesson, take this on to even new heights. It is all about rules and regulations. And the Pharisees cannot understand how Jesus seems not to have 
the, what they would consider the proper regard for the Sabbath day. He heals people on the Sabbath day. His disciples, as we're going to see, are picking grain, and that's harvesting on the Sabbath day. Drives them crazy. They just can't understand it. The Pharisees actually believed, by the way, that if all Jews would keep, the, keep one Sabbath day perfectly, that God would be so pleased he would send the Messiah. The irony is, he had the Messiah, they had the Messiah right in front of them, right? The, the, the great irony, okay? So, uh, with regard to today, uh, we still have, for example, uh, anybody think of a group that must worship on Saturday? Besides Jews now, besides Jews. Seventh-day Adventists, by their very name, right? They worship on the seventh day. Why do we worship on Sunday? Why don't we worship on the seventh day, just like they did in the Old Testament? Why is our Sabbath day Sunday? Jesus rose from the dead on the eighth day. A new creation, it's sometimes called, a new creation day, and where God was creating all things new through Christ and his resurrection from the dead. So that was a very early on, the Christians decided they are going to worship on Sunday because that is the day the Lord rose from the dead, the eighth day, the day of new creation. Okay? All right. Before we go on, any comments or any questions? Jane? No. Uh, the question was about the Pharisees and when did they start with all these rules and regulations. The rabbis even started before the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were a relatively more recent group that developed, but the rabbis way back started this oral tradition of putting all these rules and regulations on top of what God had said. The Pharisees then, and you know, um, the Pharisees, uh, we really talk down a lot about the Pharisees, and I don't, I'm not here to defend the Pharisees, but the Pharisees were operating with a good principle, or a good, a good motive, I guess you would say. The Pharisees were lay people, they were, not, they were not clergy, they were not priests, and their main concern was to keep the religion pure, to keep it from Greek influences, that, which especially came in the century before Christ. And so they were operating with a, a desire to keep the religion pure from all of these things that they saw coming in, creeping in, and so Boy, we're going to keep things strict. We're going to do it by the book, and and you know, uh, you better you better toe the line. And so they then were, were more recent than than that. Yes, uh, the question was when they were slaves in Egypt. Sure, they had to work on the Sabbath, and of course, being slaves in Egypt, they weren't given the Ten Commandments yet. But yes, they were working. They were working, uh, you know, very, very hard. And, and so then again, Moses reminds them, or God reminds them, remember, you were slaves and God brought you out of all that. Okay? All right, any other? Uh, Jan? Yes. Right. Yeah, the, the question or the comment, rather, was about in uh, the verse that talks about sojourners also. Um, let's see. Let me get that. It's within your gates. Whoops, I'm on the wrong page. That's why I can't find it. Uh, yes, in uh, 14, notice there, the sojourner who is within your gates. The traveler could even be a Gentile. The gates are not necessarily your own gates or your property, but the city or the town gates. 
So any sojourner, any traveler who could also be a Gentile. And uh, that's an excellent point, that this would be a witness, wouldn't it, to anyone. And I'll say the same about when your car leaves the garage on Sunday morning and heads out at the appropriate time. That is a silent witness, isn't it, to all the other people who are looking out their window maybe and not, not uh, doing that. But that is a silent witness, so we don't want to uh, under, underplay that. That's very important. Yeah, thank you for that, for that point. Any other comment? Yes, Rita? Yes, uh, uh, the comment was about businesses that are closed on Sunday could be a silent witness as well, that the owner or the proprietors are Christian. I, for, I forgot another thing I should have mentioned. There's a major uh, fast food uh, outlet that is closed on Sundays, right? Yeah, I don't know if we should give a commercial away here on the radio, but why not? Chick-fil-A. Uh, I, remember, I, there's a commercial now that's something that I did. I was uh, going home from church one day. I made a hospital stop at, um, at Mobap and was coming back, and I thought, oh, well, I'll swing by and pick something up on the way home for lunch. And I get to the Chick-fil-A, I'm looking at, boy, it's, there's hardly anybody here. And I was so excited. <laughs> I pulled in, and I, oh, that's right. <laughs> there's a good reason there's nobody here. They're not open. So, uh, yeah, so the, it, it can be a Christian witness, uh, you know, and, and many times it's intended to be a Christian witness. That, and there's also, uh, I think, a lot of family uh, uh, emphasis or motivation behind it as well. Okay, anything else? All right, let's go to the gospel lesson now. And we're going to skip the epistle for now. We'll come back to it. But we want to go to the gospel lesson because it's thematically tied to the Old Testament lesson. So now we're going to see the uh, consternation that Jesus' disciples cause, in this case, with regard to, in the minds of the Pharisees, not keeping the Sabbath. So let's take, first of all, 23 through 28. There's an option to add on 3 verses 1 through 6, and we're going to do that. No extra charge. All right, it's 23. One Sabbath he was going through, this would be Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so, that, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, so we'll stop there, and then we're going to pick up the rest of it. Uh, so the Sabbath day, and the disciples are walking through a field, and they pick some uh, grain and eat it. Now, what, what, would they, what would they be violating with regard to the Sabbath day? What are they doing on the Sabbath that was against the Sabbath day rules by simply picking some grain and eating it? Harvesting. Their har believe it or not, that would be considered harvesting. And then before you eat the grain, what do you do to it? What's that? Thrashing. You know, you're rubbing it in your hands, and then you're going to pop it in your mouth. That's thrashing. That's forbidden as well. 
So you see, see how things had become. Uh, so it was all about the rules and the regulations, not about the greater purpose. Now, God had actually intended, remember the Old Testament uh, laws and rules, God actually made provisions for the poor and for the travelers. Because he even said, we won't look at it now, but they were commanded that God's people, when they harvested their fields, they were not to harvest it all the way to the edge. They were to leave some there in the field. Well, who was that for? That was for the traveler and for the poor. God had, God had made in his, to his people provision for those who would be traveling. You know, it's not like today where you get off at a rest stop or you, you know, get off and there's six restaurants you can choose from and so on. Uh, he made provision for them. So the disciples are, in that sense, just doing what is, what is being provided for them there. But the problem was they were doing it on the Sabbath. That was what was not to be done, not to be harvesting, not to be gathering food on the, harvest, on the uh, Sabbath day. Now, Jesus, now in verse 25, notice how he doesn't respond he, uh, by saying anything. He responds by telling them, well, you remember what David did? And this is actually in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. We won't look at it now, but it's 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6 where David and his men are out, and it's on the Sabbath day, and they're very hungry. So David has them actually go to, and we think it was a tabernacle near Nob, which is a city just east of, of uh, Jerusalem, and there were the 12 loaves of the showbread that were in the tabernacle. The showbread was there, and there were 12 loaves, and it was to be left there for a week, and then after the week is done, who eats the bread? The priests would eat the bread. I don't know if that's a privilege to eat week-old bread, but the priest did it. So David and his men go in there, and what does David command them to do? Take some of that bread and eat it. They ate five loaves of that bread. Okay? That was, that was supposed to be left there until the next Sabbath, and it was, uh, it was on the Sabbath. So what Jesus is doing here is setting up a comparison. David did this. His men were hungry. His men ate on the Sabbath, gathered the showbread, ate. My disciples are hungry. It's on the Sabbath. We gather the grain. We eat. And Jesus is going to make the comparison now that he obviously is greater than David. Okay? So follow that through. Uh, verse 25, Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was... Uh, I'm sorry, you've never, what David, when he was need and was on hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the but priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So David broke this, this rule and regulation. I'm breaking a rule and a regulation, and I am greater. And notice there, verse 27. Uh, is a key principle which had been turned around. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that's the thing we have to remember. God built this into his creation to bless and benefit man, not the other way around. And the, the, the things had been, the tail was wagging the dog here, uh, without question, right? That uh, 
they had become so engrossed with keeping all the rules and the regulations of the Sabbath that they had forgotten the big, the big picture. And, and Jesus is bringing that to their attention. Okay? Now, let's go on and do the extension here, because we're not done yet. Uh, three verses, one through six. Uh, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. All right, so... He enters the synagogue. This might have been another Sabbath. We're not sure. Or did he go back in on the same Sabbath? We're not sure. But again, he goes in again, uh, we're told. And there was a man with a withered hand. Now, the, it can be translated uh, paralyzed or shrunken or even dried up or atrophied. We don't know exactly what the problem was with the guy's hand, and that's not, that's not ultimately important. But notice here, the trap is set, Right? And the Pharisees are watching. You, you can almost feel the tension when you read this, can't you? You can almost set, set, uh, the, the setting is so tense. They're waiting for him to do something. So notice there, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Accuse him of what? Again, of violating the Sabbath day law by working on the Sabbath. Okay? So a test case here, and it's gonna, they're all going to witness it. So... Uh, he says, Jesus says to the man, come here. So now they're, now they're really going to uh, focus on him. And notice Jesus asked them a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? Now, actually, in Jewish law, it was okay to save a life on the Sabbath day. There was that provision, <laughs> generous provision, that if somebody was dying... You know, you could step in to save their life, even if it was on the Sabbath day. But we don't get any impression that this guy is dying. You know, it's not, not we don't think that he's got such a disease that he's about to die. But Jesus, and notice there, they can't even answer him. They're, they're just, they know they're going to be uh, swimming upstream here. And notice there, they were silent. And look at verse 5. Uh, I'm sorry, let me go first to uh, Jesus' anger, okay? He is anger. But look at verse 5. He looks, Jesus looks around at them. Boy, you can just feel it, can't you? I mean, he's just looking them right in the eye and almost in defiance of, of what they're about to say. And so his, he was angry. It was righteous anger at, you know, at their, and grieved at their hardness of heart. What is it, what is it a hardness of heart? Stubbornness. Their inability to have any compassion or empathy. They're, they're uh, being slaves to rules and regulations uh, while, while people are in need of help. And so he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and he was restored, or it was, it was back to normal once again. Now, this is how bad, how angry the Pharisees were. Who do they go out and team up with here? 
Herodians. The Herodians are, uh, just like it sounds, they are the Jews who are sort of uh, cooperating with and uh, positive toward Herod. The last people that they want to team up with. But what's going on here? The enemy of your enemy is your friend. Yeah. And so, uh, or, or uh, you know, this is not an alliance that, that you would see ordinarily. But they both had a common enemy, this guy named Jesus. And the Herodians are beginning to, uh, again, have their doubts and, and very concerned about him. The Pharisees most certainly are. And notice they're not just getting together to talk theory here. They're getting together, as, as is said here, how to destroy him, okay, or how to take him out. So things are starting to heat up, and again, it's the Sabbath day that these Pharisees are most upset about this time, okay? They had already been upset because Jesus in Mark 7, for example, does away with all the dietary rules and regulations and says it's not what enters a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of his heart, right? And so all the dietary laws he's not seeming to abide by, the Sabbath day laws, he doesn't seem to be abiding by. In other words, he's not playing by the rules. How can this guy be from God if he is not playing by all of these rules and regulations? Uh, simply can't be. We need to get rid of this guy. He is misleading the people. Okay? So again, I, I say uh, we oftentimes will beat up on the Pharisees, but if you look at it from their perspective, you can understand how they feel the way they feel. They see Jesus as destroying the religion and destroying people's relationship with God, not helping, not assisting, okay? And, but again, they have unknowingly become slaves to rules and regulations. And that's why Jesus, can, again, can say, Come on to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Versus the heavy yoke that, you know, these people had around them and the heavy burden they had with having to follow all these rules and regulations. Jesus one time uh, chides them also for setting up rules and regulations that they didn't even follow themselves. They were so hard, they're so difficult, so demanding that they couldn't even follow them themselves. And that's, that was a state of things when Jesus walked uh, the earth. And he comes to set up a whole different understanding of our relationship with God. It's not through keeping rules and regulations to the T. It's simply receiving with an outstretched hand what God gives us by grace through faith in Christ. Okay? All right, let's stop here before we go on to the epistle. Comments, questions, or anything about the Sabbath, because we're going to leave the Sabbath behind now to move on to a different topic. Anything at all? All right, let's move on then finally to the epistle lesson. And again, as is often the case, the epistle is not thematically connected to the Old Testament and the Gospel. It would be if it were a festival Sunday, all three, um, as we see today, all three are connected thematically on Trinity Sunday. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and just know here, you can, you can almost pick it up by reading what Paul says here, uh, Paul is being criticized uh, after he has left Corinth. He is being criticized for a number of things, but in this section he addresses in particular the criticism that he is 
uh, in it for himself and for his own glory, that he's showboating, that uh, he, he is uh, in it for his own benefit, his own good. Okay? So watch what Paul says here. Let's read this through, and then we'll go back and put it together and talk about it more. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. All right, let's go back now. Notice, right off the bat, Paul says we don't preach who? We don't preach ourselves, right? We, what we proclaim is not ourselves. So again, remember that he is being attacked by his critics saying that he is self, a self-promoter. He's preaching himself. Um, that's something. And now, who, is, uh, who today would be, uh, would be open or who today might be tempted? <laughs> I'm not wording this question very well. Uh, what kind of person today might be tempted to do this? A pastor, right? Might promote himself instead of Christ. Uh, and, and you can look around and make your own conclusions about, about people, but, uh, you know, when you're listening to a sermon, whose name ought you hear with some frequency? Jesus Christ, right, exactly. And to me, that's always the litmus test. If you can listen to a sermon and not hear a word, a uh, mention of Christ, any mention of a cross, any mention of sin, any mention of forgiveness uh, or, or eternal life, you might want to think about things a little bit at that point, right? That's the very heart and core of what we preach. So you'd have to ask, what agenda does that preacher have that I'm not hearing about Christ, I'm not hearing about the cross, I'm not hearing about my sin, my need for forgiveness, eternal life, any of that. I'm not hearing any of that. So what, what agenda does that preacher have? And uh, is he being a self-promoter, or is he preaching Christ and him crucified? So what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, what is significant about that? Jesus Christ as Lord means he is what? God. Yeah, same word in the Greek Old Testament translated Yahweh, in, when it's translated to Greek. That Jesus is God, or Jesus is Lord, right? So we're preaching that, and what's our position? He says, ourselves as what? But not just any old servants, your servants. Now again... 
this has so much application for pastors today, and I think for, for teachers or any, any uh, church worker as well, that our role is one of what? Of service, servanthood, okay? It is not that we are here to follow Christ. It's not that we are here to be served but to serve, right? And so there again, there's a temptation. Uh, I think pastors have this temptation, certainly, that to begin to think that it's all about you, it's all about, you know, your uh, wit and your uh, glory. And boy, once you get sucked into that kind of thinking, uh, uh, things can fall apart, unravel pretty quickly. And uh, some pastors, unfortunately, begin to think that all the rules uh, apply to other people and not to them. And before you know it, they're in real trouble. And so uh, here, our role is one of servanthood, okay? And notice it's your servant. So uh, your pastors, your teachers are here to serve you, but not just to serve you for what? For Jesus' sake. Notice how it's worded here, for Jesus' sake, right? It's not just to be a servant, but a servant for Jesus' sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the salvation that he purchased on the cross for all of us. That's our role, okay? And so, now notice, here he goes back to creation, Paul does. For God said, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul makes a comparison here between the light that shines out of darkness at creation and the light that shines in what? In the darkness, we could say, of our heart, right? It's the light of the glory of God in, Jesus, in the face of Jesus Christ. And... Um, yeah, just a few minutes left. Uh, when we think of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, let me ask you this. Where was the glory of God in Jesus Christ most clearly shown for the entire world to see? On the cross. On the cross, right? That God, and right before that, uh, Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer and asks the Father to glorify his name now and he's heading to the cross, that this God, creator of the universe, would send his son to die. Nowhere is the glory of God more clearly evident for the world to see than in that. And so what Paul is saying here is that he's making a comparison again. Light came out of the darkness at creation, so also in the darkness of our hearts, the glory of God has shown in Jesus Christ. Okay, all right, then going on, uh, he uh, says something that is really remarkable when you think about it. What does Paul mean when he says, we have this treasure, this, you might say the gospel, we have this, this great news, uh, in jars of clay? Is Paul talking about literally we're carrying around jars of clay? <laughs> no, it's just a way of speaking. Jars of clay are what? Ourselves, right? Our weak, vulnerable, breakable, imperfect selves. So what happens with a jar of clay when you drop it? Shatters, right? Now, would anybody put their, their greatest treasure in jars of clay and carry it around? No, because it might break. But yet God has done that, hasn't he? 
We have this treasure, Paul says, in jars of clay. Okay? Um, Isaiah and Jeremiah, we won't look at it now, but Isaiah and Jeremiah use this imagery quite a bit with God as the potter and we are the jars, we are the clay that he's molding and so on. And, and again, the, the, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, God puts this treasure, the gospel, forgiveness, salvation, in weak, vulnerable jars of clay. So again, as, as people, we carry this treasure around in us, don't we? And, and yet we, we can be so uh, weak and uh, breakable at times as well. But that's to show, again, the surpassing power belongs to God. Then there's this long section here where Paul talks about basically, you know, we're, we're, we're beaten down, but we're not defeated is sort of, the, is sort of the, the bottom line. But there's this long, you know, and think of what Paul, you know, think of Paul, you know, he, he goes through this big litany of things elsewhere where he's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten and left for dead, beat three times beaten with rods, you know, on and on and on he catalogs all these things that have happened to him as a result of the gospel, as a result of preaching the gospel. And, um, you know, he, he, it, it, it's just the way it is for him. He, he uh, has become accustomed to it. So we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, and not forsaken by God, struck down, but not destroyed. Now, verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So here he is, he's saying, always in our bodies, we are carrying around the death of Christ. In other words, he's making a connection with the suffering and death of Christ to his own suffering as a result of that gospel. Okay? So we're always carrying around in our bodies the death of Christ, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies as well. It's not just the crucifixion, it's the resurrection, the new life that we all have through Christ. In verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. You know, I don't know if we can uh, fully comprehend that. There are certain places in the world today where we certainly could if we lived there, but always given over to death for the sake of Jesus Christ. And there are people right now, uh, you probably have heard in, in Egypt, every, it seems like every few weeks we hear of Christians being killed. Uh, and sadly, when they come out of worship or go into worship, a uh, very dangerous part of the world for Christians right now, and certainly not the only dangerous place for Christians right now. But they, they could fully comprehend what Paul is saying here because it's, it's what they're living. So we, we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Again, that's a re repetition. It's not just for our own, you know, glory or, or uh, martyrdom, but for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. In other words, your eternal life, your forgiveness, and that's the purpose, that's the reason we're doing this, carrying around the death of Christ, facing all of the danger and the potential for death as well. And Paul finally would be uh, put to death. We think it's in around June, I believe, of 68 uh, AD outside of Rome. Uh, and uh, Peter very close to that same time. So he would end up uh, being martyred uh, for that same faith.
Okay? All right. We're about out of time here, so let's close then with the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. Amen.